Welcome to Time Traveling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Patty. And I'm Trisha. In this week's episode, we join the Doctor and Leela as they face off against the image of the Fendal. As usual, we'll be discussing the Doctor, its companions, and the villains, and give our thoughts on the story as a whole. We'd also love to hear your thoughts on this story. So in order to join the discussion, you can check us out at Time Team on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's T-I-M-E-T-E-A-M-P. Or you can email us at timetravelingteam at teamproductions.com. Before we get into the story recap, though, there's been a bit of development in the world of Doctor Who as of late. Um, so the, last week, we saw the end of uh, Jodie Whittaker's run on the show with the mm-hmm. power of the Doctor. I quite liked it. I thought it was great. There were some lovely nods to the classic series. There was some nice nods back to like the more recent series or the the revived era um certain individuals we were very happy to see come back um and uh, a wonderful dance sequence not going to say what but i thought it was a wonderful dance sequence um and just waiting now for a bloody year before it comes back again yeah i'm gonna give I'm going to be a bit more spoilery oh, in my part. Okay. I don't want spoilers. Perfect. Just, just, it's our fucking podcast. Fuck it. Yeah. Um, and Paul's already watched it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah Paul, Paul, who messaged me at like half two in the morning, tell me everything. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed it. There were a couple of things I think could have been done better. Mm. Um, I think the first exit, I'm not going to go into too much spoilers, but I think the first exit could have been done a bit better. It was rushed, I thought. Yeah, um, and the explanation of the first regeneration could have been done a bit better because I knew what it was, but like mm-hmm. I can see people being confused. Um, in terms of all of the nods, I think that was really good. I loved seeing Ace again. Mm-hmm. I thought she was fantastic. I love how she knew where everything was. Yeah, it's like she entered the room and took note of all the random panels in the floor. I was like, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> one of these is going to be fun. Um. I thought that was great. I love I love Kate Stewart anyway, so I thought she was fantastic. Um and I thought the ending was really emotional. The only thing I would say is I would have liked more of the Doctor and Yaz at the end. Mm-hmm. Um and I also the very, very well not the very, very end, but the the middle end as it were. Um the scene that has a lot of people freaking the fuck out because like oh my god like all of these people mm-hmm. in one room um there is a theory online um so you've got all i was gonna again i was gonna say it right just because again spoilers you can skip ahead if you don't want to hear it there's a scene at the end where they've got a number of companions in one room mm-hmm. and it's basically a companion support group and so you've got yaz and graham and dan no um ryan ryan um and then you have uh, Ace. Tegan and Ace and Mel. Yes. Is it Mel? Mm-hmm. Mel. And then we have the one, the only Ian. Mr. Ian Chesterton, right? Which is great. Um, I need to have a closer look because I need to see if Ian Chesterton is wearing a fucking wedding ring. Um, but there was one part. Uh, oh, and Joe Grant was there as well. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, sorry about Joe. Sorry, Joe. Sorry, Katie. <laughs> um, but there was one empty chair next to Joe Grant. And I've seen a number of theories online. One is that there was actually an iPad propped up on the chair and we just couldn't see it properly. And that that's like Ryan was on the iPad because he's 
of doing something. Ra- Graham said that he was somewhere when he met up with Ace. But the one that I love is there's, there's two things. One is people saying that that was meant to be for Sarah Jane, mm-hmm. that Joe kept an open seat for Sarah Jane, which if you take the but, lockdown yeah. special as canon, which I don't until they actually showed on the fucking show, mm-hmm. Sarah Jane would have passed away. And so Joe was keeping his sharp for her. And then there's another lovely thing online, which is that it was for everyone. It was for Jacqueline Hill. It was for, you know, Ian Martyr. Ian Martyr. It was for Elizabeth Slane. It was for Caroline Jones, for all the companions mm. and their actors that had passed away. And it's like that, that is lovely. Yeah. If that's what it was. I, I, I am now thinking more and more that maybe there was a tablet on it and we just didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't notice the empty chair. I was just going, oh my God, it's Ian. Oh my God, it's Joe. It's Mel. Hmm. How did Mel get there? Because as far as I remember, see, all the companions were the ones that ended up back on Earth. Yeah. Within the confines of the episode of the show. Hmm. I can't remember Mel ending back up on Earth. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, the other thing that people said as well is like, where are, like, why wasn't Martha there? Um, stuff like that and I'm like uh, I don't think Martha had to be there um, but yeah so, but the one thing I do want to come, so like, overall like I said I really enjoyed it mm. the final final scene the actual regeneration itself I have a theory it's a really bonkers theory <laughs> you have a theory mm. based on the fact that the doctor's clothes changed which never happens when the doctor's regenerating so people are actually saying we had a conversation about this before mm. uh, the very first regeneration that mm. um Troughton's pants are his standard checky pants whereas like i remember going back and trying to see mm. we never actually see hartnell's pants in the tenth planet yeah <laughs> so yeah so um i have a theory based on the fact that like the clothes change mm-hmm. and it's actually the case of like there's a cutscene, but like the clothes regenerate, which makes no fucking sense because she bought those clothes in a yeah. secondhand shop, so that makes no sense. Um, I'm very curious to see what the next episode is going to be like because controversial topic. I am one of those people where people were, when people were saying like, "Oh, David Tennant is coming back to Doctor Who for a bit," I was like, "Please no," unless it's like, you know, like the other doctors that were in the special. Yeah. If it was that, I would have been happy. I'm I'm very curious as to what they're going to do with the regeneration because obviously we know Shuti Gatwa is going to take over eventually. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious as to how that's going to work. Um, but yeah. The other thing as well that I wish people would shut the fuck up about is have you noticed that Tom Baker is trendy on Twitter? Yes. Tom is fine. Yeah. Tom is not dead, which is the go-to thing I have when I see someone trending on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, do you know why Tom is trending on Twitter? Because he wasn't in it. People are fucking ragging on him for not being in the episode. Because like, Chibnall came out saying that like basically they reached out to the doctors that they could and a lot of them said yes. But that Tom said no, that there was a work commitment and it wouldn't line off um, due to a scheduling conflict. And people are ragging on him saying that like, oh, it's just Tom being full of himself. And, you know, of course, Tom wouldn't want to be in it because all of the other doctors are in it. And, like, he's 89 years old. Hmm. Like, and this was filmed a year ago under COVID restrictions. Yeah. I was like, maybe he just didn't feel comfortable. 
And maybe I, he was doing stuff for Big Finish. Like you don't know what he's doing. Maybe he's also not up for. I think as well physical onset stuff. Like fuck off. I think he has been a small bit physically um, debilitated uh, within the last couple of years. I think he was sick for a while, so it probably happened. Yeah, I mean, like, if you watch the the Blu-ray sets, mm-hmm. so the Blu-ray set that came out of last season, as we're talking like last seasons were doing it, so. With Hand of Fear and and stuff like that, um, you know, there's obviously the behind the sofa spe- like episodes, and then there's the Sarah Jane remembering Sarah Jane thing, and he looks really for like he doesn't really do he hasn't done conventions in a while. He is much older than Peter Davison and Paul McGann and whomever, mm-hmm. and I saw people being like, oh well, if William Russell could do it, and William Russell is ninety four, and I was like. Yeah, but like, th- that doesn't mean anything. I think we, you know? I think... And the people are, people are just ragging on him, being like, "Oh, why wasn't he in the episode? He's so fucking full of himself." Sure, we wouldn't want him anyway. And it's like, uh, but the, there's rumors flying around about every well, like, like apparently, like John Bishop became uh, William Russell's unofficial helper on the mm-hmm. set of it, and it's like, well, I haven't seen anything about that anywhere. Um, yeah. actually another kind of thing that's flooding the rumour mill now is that the news that uh, starting next season uh, Disney Plus will be streaming yeah. Do- Doctor Who worldwide and yeah. it's the case of misinformation it, Disney have not bought into the intellectual property of Doctor Who no, they have bought distribution the, the distribution rights they have no influence on how the show is going to be done so calm down Alright. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually looking forward to it being on Disney Plus because I don't have terrestrial television. Mm-hmm. And BBC iPlayer is actually shit. <laughs> like I watched the episode on iPlayer on my television. Mm-hmm. So like I using ExpressVPN. Um I set my location and I watched it on iPlayer and like it was constantly stalling and buffering. Um, and I've had that experience on lap- on like laptops as well. Um, so I'm quite looking forward to it just being covered under my Disney Plus subscription. The one thing I hope though is that because they were saying that like it's streaming on Disney Plus worldwide and on BBC in the UK. Mm-hmm. I really hope that Disney included Ireland, Republic of, <laughs> in the worldwide distribution. I I, th- I think it is because. Uh... We don't get BritBox here in the Republic, so... No, but it depends on how they worked out the, oh, the distribution license. Because distribution licenses are usually done by country. Yeah. And I just hope we don't get forgotten. <laughs> uh, um, oh, I'm just trying to think, is there any other news before we kick start into it? Oh, uh, you said next episode. It's not just one episode. It's three. It's three specials, all being released on the same day, apparently. Or they're just all penciled in for the same day. Uh, which is the 23rd of November next year. Um, but yeah, it's three separate things. Oh, wow. Yeah. So unless maybe they do like a Children of Earth style thing, which is like the 21st, the 22nd, and lead off into the 23rd, uh, which I think would be kind of cool. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of theories going on there at the moment. Um, but I think, and there's a lot of opinions going on there at the moment, but mm-hmm. through everything... I quite enjoyed Jodie's run as the Doctor. I thought she did a really good job with it. The companions she had, uh, Graham, Brian, Yaz, um, Dan, and I will also... Did you call him Brian? No. His I name said, is Ryan. I said, I said, I said Graham, 
Brian. Okay, sounded good, Brian. Yeah. Like, Maybe I mumbled. Mm. Um, and I'm also like, and the supporting characters, including my favorite from the last run, which was Professor Eustatius Jericho. <laughs> um, yeah, also it had its ups and downs. Don't get me wrong, but I enjoyed it, and I thought her regeneration yeah. sequence was actually quite nice. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I thought it was great. Hmm. Would recommend. Yes, definitely would recommend. It. So, I'm looking forward to hearing from Paul on the Half Podcast. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, that's our good friends at the Half Podcast. Uh, half Podcast. Half, me- <laughs> half Podcast Measure. Half Measures Podcast. <laughs> there, there's a half measure for you there, Paul. Because <laughs> they do so much for us and you can't even get their fucking podcast name right. I fuck it. <laughs> uh, but anyway. On to our, cur- our our current, which is 19, what, 78 at this stage? 77. 77. <laughs> uh, yeah, our current story of the image of the Fendal. Part one. In a laboratory on Earth, a pair of scientists, Colby and Thea, are discussing the discovery of a human skull that is over 12 million years old, which is a scientific impossibility. Another of their colleagues, Stahl, arrives and asks for documents for their superior, Dr. Fendelman. Stahl goes to Fendelman's lab and they begin to input the data from the documents into a computer. At the same time, the skull in the other lab begins to glow and Tia, now alone, goes to examine it. She stares at it as the rest of the lights in the lab go off, her gaze fixated on it as if in a trance. Meanwhile, in a nearby woods, a backpacker is lost and makes his way through the mist-shrouded trees. He suddenly starts to run as if he is pursued by something and screams as he clutches his head in pain, falling to the ground. Back at the lab, Tia also falls to the floor. Meanwhile, in the TARDIS, the Doctor has disassembled K-9 in an effort to repair some corrosion on his circuits. He and Leela then debate the difference between her referring to K-9 as a he, whilst the Doctor refers to the TARDIS as a she. The Doctor then takes umbrage when Leela again points out his lack of control over the ship and says that he has total control over it. Suddenly the TARDIS lurches to the side and the Doctor staggers to the console. He says that someone is using a time sonic scan and that is putting the TARDIS into a tear in the fabric of time. Leela apologises to the TARDIS in an effort to encourage it to evade the hole, and the ship writes itself again. The Doctor says he will need to find the source of the scan, as its continued usage could rip the time itself apart. He discovers the origin point on Earth, and bemoans the fact that he will have to go back there, telling Leela that he doesn't like humanity's penchant for self-destruction. Leela grows annoyed at his continued insulting of her ancestors, but he manages to distract her by complimenting on her on her new outfit. The following morning in the laboratory, Tea is joined at the breakfast table by Fendelman and Stahl. Fendelman asks how she is, but she says that she can't remember what happened to her. He then asks after Colby, and Tia says that he is out walking his dog. Suddenly, Colby bursts in and informs him about the body of the backpacker in the woods. Colby says that they should call the police, as he says that it looks like he died under suspicious circumstances. Fendelman asks him not to, as the local woods have a legend for being haunted, and the publicity circus that would ensue after the discovery of a body would interrupt their work, which he says could completely change the understanding of humanity's evolution. Fendelman says that they should take a look at it themselves and could potentially move it if needs be. Tia says that it is illegal, but Colby, having been won over by Fendelman, agrees to his plan. Fendelman then takes Stahl aside and tells him to organise a security team from London and for him to perform a post-mortem on the body when they recover it. At that moment, the TARDIS lands in a cow pasture and the Doctor and Leela emerge from it. The Doctor says that he has gotten close to the source of the time scan as he could and that they will need to find it themselves. Later, Stahl reports the findings of the post-mortem to Fendelman telling him that there is no visible cause of death and the only marking on the body is a small blister at the base of the skull. However, he says that the body has begun to rapidly decompose and is nearly a husk already. Fendelman tells him to get rid of the body and not tell anyone else about it. 
Meanwhile, the doctor is resting under a tree when Leela arrives with an elderly man that she has taken hostage, saying that he was armed. The man, mistaking Leela as a mental patient under the doctor's supervision, tells him that he works for the council and was just doing some tree trimming. The doctor asks him for the name of the area, and upon recognising the name, asks him about the haunted woods. The man, who gives his name as Ted Moss, claims ignorance of it, and the doctor instead asks him about any strangers that have been in the area lately. Moss tells him about the Fendelman and his team, and who have set up a lab at the old priory. At the priory, one of the newly arrived security guards, Mitchell, is having an argument with the housekeeper, Marta. Their argument is heard by Colby and Tia, who arrive and try to intervene and stop Marta from attacking Mitchell when he insults her. Marta leaves her shopping with the others and then leaves, but not before she gives Mitchell an ominous warning. Colby asks Mitchell who he is, and both he and Tia are shocked when he tells them about Fendelman's new security restrictions. Colby tells Tia to stay behind whilst he goes to confront Fendelman. He arrives at his lab and is amazed by the array of computers in the room. Fendelman arrives and tells him that it was through the computers that they were able to locate the dig site where they found the skull. Colby asks exactly what they are working on, and Fendelman tells him the origin of his work. Colby then goes and informs Tia about what he was told, saying that Fendelman is trying to see into the past via the computers. He labels Fendelman as a madman, saying that he couldn't give Colby a demonstration of the computers as they only work at night. Tia is sceptical of his claims about Fendelman's sanity, saying that he is a genius in the field of technology and electronics. Meanwhile, the Doctor and Leela arrive at the Priory and observe a guard patrolling the front gate. Leela offers to kill him, but the Doctor tells her that that will only bring them trouble and says they can try sneaking in through the back. It starts to get dark as they make their way through the woods, and the Doctor tells Leela to wait as a guard arrives. However, when the coast is clear, he sees that Leela has gone missing. At the same time, Tia sneaks into Fendelman's lab and activates the computer, causing the skull to glow on the lab as well as project an image of itself onto her face. Outside, the Doctor suddenly stands motionless as a mist starts to fill the air and something approaches him from the shadows. Meanwhile, Leela approaches the rear door of a cottage attached to the Priory and eases it open. Suddenly, someone fires a shotgun at the door. Part 2 The Doctor manages to break free of his rigidity and flees from the figure approaching him. Meanwhile, at the Priory, the gunman, who turns out to be a moss, reloads and approaches the door only to be ambushed by Leela, who had sensed him in time and ducked. She manages to disarm him, but just as another man enters the room, arming himself with a wooden cane and accuses Moss of trespassing. He places the cane at Leela's back and tells her to put the gun down, and she reluctantly agrees, and Moss gets up. The new arrival, whose name is Jack and is Marta's grandson, asks them what they are doing in the cottage. In Fendelman's lab, Colby arrives and sees Thea in a trance and tries to wake her up from it. He turns off the computer and suddenly hears a man's screams. He manages to wake up Tia and together they go to the kitchen where they find Mitchell dead. Colby says that he looks like the body that he found in the woods and Tia says that he has a blister at the base of his neck. Tia suddenly faints and Colby goes to help her but the doctor appears and tells him not to touch her. He then investigates the body and asks how many more people have died. Tia's body suddenly begins to glow and a pair of cobra-like creatures with open maws for faces with tendrils coming out of them manifest. The glow then dissipates and the creatures vanish, and the doctor says that they look like embryonic Fendeline. He explains that they are creatures from Gallifreyan mythology that supposedly died out when their home planet was destroyed. The doctor says that the planet was destroyed 12 million years ago, which lines up with the age of the skull from the dig site. The doctor warns Colby that unless they can stop the Fendeline, then humanity will be wiped out within a year. Fendelman arrives with Stahl and a group of guards, and the doctor asks him to immediately do a scan on the Tia's brain. However, Fendelman pulls a gun on him and orders him to be locked up, blaming him for the murders. Colby says that he will call the police and goes to take Tia with him, but Fendelman says that that will lead to more questions about the hiding of the first body. At the cottage, Leela finishes telling Jack why she is there, and Moss says that it is nonsense. 
Jack, however, tells Moss to leave and confides in Leela that he thinks that his grandmother and Moss and a few others in the village are involved in some sort of cult that practices the old pagan rituals. Leela says that maybe the Doctor will be able to help them once he has sorted out the issue with the time scan. In the Priory, the Doctor unsuccessfully tries to open the door to the room holding him with his sonic screwdriver. He gives up, but a few moments later the door opens and he leaves. He makes his way down the corridors and suddenly overhears voices and he goes closer to listen. He overhears Moss informing Stahl about the Doctor and Leela, saying that he thinks that they are investigators of some kind. Stahl tells him that he will take care of them and orders Moss to assemble the rest of their coven so they can perform their ritual. In the lab, Colby and Tia argue about the right course of action to take. Tia eventually gets him to see that Fendelman is only using him and he agrees to phone the police but discovers that the line is cut. Tia says that they are all trapped inside the house but it is not Fendelman who laid the trap but her as she gazes intently at the skull. Colby takes her to confront Fendelman and Colby calls him mad. Fendelman warns him to be careful and orders him to sit down as he explains that he believes that the skull is alien in origin. The two scientists then argue back and forth over the origin of the skull with Fendelman saying that humanity could be descended from extraterrestrial life. He says that through the use of his equipment, he has managed to identify the exact moment of the death of the owner of the skull. He says that at that moment of death, a tremendous energy surge entered the skull and has laid there ever since. He reveals the full extent of the experiments that he and Stahl have been doing on the skull, and when he mentions x-rays, Colby reminds him of what the doctor said. T excuses herself from the table, and Fendelman says that he will ask Stahl to look in on her. He then takes a curious Colby to the lab. Back at the cottage, Leela and Jack go to look for the doctor, but before they leave, Martha arrives in a state of terror. They bring her in and look after her, and Leela promises that she will let nothing harm her. Martha then says that she felt something invade her mind, something that was hungry for her soul. Leela tells Jack to look after her whilst she goes to find the doctor. She makes her way into the priory, knocking out a guard at the front door. In his lab, Fendelman shows Colby an x-ray of the skull, which shows a pentagram design within the skull's structure. He says that he thinks it is a form of neural relay where energy is stored. He says that once the energy is released, he believes that it would act like a beacon that would summon others of the skull's race to earth. Meanwhile, Tia goes to find the doctor, but discovers the room where he was is empty. She then goes to the computer room, which is now empty, and looks at the x-ray of the skull. She holds her head as she starts to go into the trance, but she's distracted when Stahl enters. He closes the door and asks what she is doing there. She says that she needs to speak with the doctor, but Stahl says that he escaped. She tries to leave, but he stops her, telling her that she is the key to his power, and he knocks her out with a chloroform-soaked rag, telling her that she will be the chosen one of, for the coven's ritual. At that moment, the doctor enters Colby's lab and finds the skull. He offers it a jelly baby, but the skull suddenly starts to glow, and the doctor places his hand on it, which causes him to scream in pain. Part 3 Leela enters the priory and detects the strange energy given off by the skull as it ensnares the doctor. She frantically searches for him and eventually finds him when she hears his screams. She goes to remove his hand from the skull, but he tells her to get back as it is too dangerous. She then kicks his chair out from under him, causing him to break contact with the skull and fall on top of her. After ensuring that the both of them are okay, they go back to looking at the skull, and the doctor says that he believes the skull is housing a Fendal. He tells Leela that they survive by absorbing all the life force and energy from their prey, effectively eating their souls. Leela tells him what Martha said in the cottage, and the doctor asks her to take him to meet her. Leela says that they should stop the time scan first, but he says that Fendelman has a window of 100 hours before causing a cataclysmic implosion. Leela states that Fendelman may have already used up that time in his experiments, but the doctor says that it is a risk that they must take in order to confirm his suspicions about the Fendal. 
In his lab, a Fendelman shows Kobe just how long they have been performing his experiments, which is currently running at nearly 99 hours. Kobe then asks why no one has found any evidence of humanity's potential extraterrestrial origins before, and Fendelman says that no one was looking for it. Kobe remains sceptical, but Fendelman says that he will give him a demonstration and show him the origins of humanity. Elsewhere, Stahl wakes T up and explains that he intends to use her as a conduit to absorb the power from the skull and become a god. He then goes back to the lab and finds Fendelman and Kobe looking at the time scanner. He takes out a revolver and orders them to turn it off. Fendelman angry demands to know what is going on as Kobe turns off the scanner, and Stahl says that the time for the ritual is not yet upon them. He then orders them out at gunpoint. The doctor and Leela arrive back at the cottage and Jack tells him that she has fallen unconscious. The doctor tells him to go and make them all some tea and food whilst he and Leela try to bring Martha around again. Their efforts seem to be in vain, but just as they give up, she wakes up and berates the doctor for the fruitcake recipe he was discussing in an attempt to reach her subconscious. She then berates Jack for not bringing out the good cups for their guests before stopping as she realises that she has no idea who the doctor and Leela are. The doctor tells her that he tried to reach her subconscious by talking about something she was familiar with. He then reveals the nature of her second sight that she is noted for having is actually a result of her living her whole life near the woods, which is actually the location of a time fisher. He explains that any place that is known to be haunted is actually close to a time fisher, and any ghosts that are sighted are, are images of people in a time stream. He then questions her about the entity whose presence she felt, but she also tells him that it wasn't human. The doctor tells Jack to keep an eye on the comings and goings from the Priory, and that they will return tomorrow evening. Before they go... Martha gives Leela a protection charm that she had intended to give Moss, but she says it is too late for him. After they leave, Martha confides to Jack that the figure she saw in her mind was that of a woman. In the Priory, Stahl leads Kobe and Fendelman to the ritual location, where Tia is laying on a pentagram carved into the floor. He ties them both up and explains to the mocking Kobe that he is not superstitious, and that he believes Martha's gifts are somehow tied to the skull. He then leaves and Fendelman rages over the betrayal, Kobe says that they need to get free and asks about the security guards, but Fendelman says that they are to report to Stahl if he is ever unreachable. Meanwhile, the Doctor and Leela are in the TARDIS en route to the Fendal's home planet prior to its destruction. Leela asks how they were able to get to Earth without some sort of spacecraft, and the Doctor says that it probably utilises the energy it had absorbed to project its consciousness through space to Earth. He goes to check for any records of the planet, but discovers that there are none, which he says is impossible. They arrive at the location of the planet but discover only a massive swirling green vortex filled with debris. The Doctor realises that the reason that there is no record of the planet is because it is trapped in a time loop. He says that only Time Lords are capable of doing something like that and he says that they need to get back to the prior immediately. He angrily wonders where the Fendal is pulling the energy from in order to revive itself and he realises that it is pulling it in whenever the scanner is activated. He apologises for his inability to realise it earlier, chalking up to a childhood fear of the myth of the Fendal leading Leela to chide him good-naturedly. Back at the cottage, Martha is troubled by a tower reading that she is doing, but she is distracted by the arrival of Jack, who says that there is no sign of the Doctor and Leela. She tries to give him a charm, but he says that he doesn't believe in it. He eventually relents to appease her, and she then asks him to give her some shotgun shells so she can fill them with salt, which he says will work better against whatever it is in the Priory than gunpowder would. In the ritual room, which is actually in the cellar, Stahl connects a series of wires to the skull so that he can remotely connect it to the time scanner. Fendelman realises the devastation is about to occur and tells the rest of the coven to stop Stahl before it is too late. Stahl approaches him and mockingly asks what is about to happen and Fendelman says that he has realised that he has inadvertently led them to this moment. He says he realised that his name means Man of the Fendal 
and that his family has been manipulated for generations so that they could all be here at this moment to bring the Fendal back to life. Stal kills him to shut him up before going back to the ritual. He watches as the pentagram begins to glow. At that moment, the Doctor and Leela arrive back at the Priory and find Jack helping Marta, who sprained her ankle as they were searching the house. Marta says that something is coming, and the Doctor says they need to leave, but Jack and Leela says they can't move their legs. Marta then points down the hallway, and they watch as a fully grown Fendaline makes its way towards them. Part 4 Leela asks why they can't move, and the Doctor says that the Fendaline is using its psychokinetic abilities to hold them in place. He takes the gun from Jack, telling the others to concentrate on moving their legs and to run when he tells them as the Fendaline is currently focused on him as he is still able to move freely. Jack says that it is only loaded with rock salt, but the Doctor still fires at the creature and it retreats back down the corridor, allowing the others to go free. The Doctor joins them and notices an electrical cable running along the floor, and Marta says it looks like it leads down to the cellar. The Doctor gives the gun back to Jack and tells him to look after Marta whilst he and Leela go down to the cellar. In the cellar, Tia transforms into a golden figure and begins to convert the assembled coven members into Fendaline. Stahl stares on in confusion as Colby orders the remaining members of the coven to flee. The Doctor and Leela suddenly arrive and they free Colby. The Doctor tells Leela to take him to safety and to not look into Tia's eyes as they leave. He tries to stay with Stahl, but he sees that the transformation process has already begun within him, and Stahl asks him to give him his revolver. He gives him the gun, and as he leaves, Stahl shoots himself. The Doctor arrives back to the others to find Colby and Jack arguing, as Colby blames Marta for influencing the others with her old beliefs. Leela tells him to stay quiet, as his shouting will draw the attention of the Fendaline. The Doctor asks Marta to use her psychic abilities to feel the power coming from the cellar, and she says that it is slowly getting stronger. He then leads them down the corridor to find the Fendaline that he shot, and they find it dead. He tells them, through interpretation by Leela, that it is vulnerable to salt. He then leads them to Fendelman's lab and turns off the time scanner, which he says will save the planet from implosion, but they still need to deal with the Fendal. He explains that a Fendal is a gestalt entity, a being made up of 12 Fendaline and a core entity, which is what Tia has turned into. He says that the one that was killed I'm sorry, he says that the one that he killed and Stahl's suicide mean that there are only 12 Fendaline left. He asks Jack if there is any more rock salt cartridges but he says no. Marta says that the protective charms that she gave Jack and Leela have rock salt in them and the doctor tells Jack to use them. He then sends Marta to find as much salt as she can and fill up containers with it. He then sends Jack and Leela to keep an eye out for more Fendaline whilst he starts to dismantling some of the computers. The Doctor explains the origins of the Fendal to Colby, saying that the evolutionary process on their home planet collapsed and the Fendal was created as a result, which sustained itself by absorbing the life essences of the other creatures on the planet. He says that the Time Lords wiped out the existence of the planet by placing it in a time loop, but they were too late and the Fendal had arrived on Earth. Once there, the energy stored within it started to dissipate, which affected the ecology around it, and as a result, potentially altered humanity's evolution to something that it could latch onto. Colby is sceptical of the theory, and the Doctor instead says that it could have infested the evolution of certain individuals in order to manipulate them to one day revive the Fendal, those people being Fendelman's ancestors. Out in the corridor, Tia and a Fendelian appear, and Leela tells Jack to not to look at her, but to fire the gun. Jack says he is unable to move, leading Leela to knock him out and fire blindly in the direction of Tia and the Fendaline. The sound of the shot draws the attention of the Doctor, who arrives in the hallway to see Jack and Leela lying on the floor in front of a dead Fendaline. The Doctor congratulates Leela and together they bring Jack back to the Fendelman's lab, where Marta has arrived with a trolley full of salt containers. The Doctor sends Jack and Marta back to the cottage just as Colby arrives with a large metal box. 
The doctor tells him that he and Leela are going down to the cellar to retrieve the skull. He tells Colby to activate the time scanner for two minutes and then to switch it off, as the doctor will use that time to rig up the cellar to implode, taking the priory with it. He tells Colby that once he switches off the scanner, they all have three minutes to get out of the building. Leela gives Colby a kiss on the cheek for luck as she and the doctor leave. They make their way into the cellar and encounter a fendaline. They manage to ward it off and with the salt and make their way to the altar containing the skull, which is guarded by a pair of embryonic fendaline, but they are in- disorientated by the activation of the scanner. The doctor manages to retrieve the skull and places it inside the metal box. Just then, Colby turns off the scanner and the doctor tells Leela that they need to get out. They go back to the hallway and see the apparition of Thea there, but they shield their eyes and throw the remaining salt at her, allowing them to get past. They rush to safety and watch as the priory implodes. The doctor says that they had best leave as the others are safe inside the cottage. In the TARDIS, the doctor says that he will destroy the skull by dropping it into a supernova, thereby ensuring that it doesn't cause any more problems. He says that he needs to finish repairing K9, referring to the robot dog as a him. Leela gloats over the doctor's change in attitude on the subject, but he replies that as K9's owner, he is free to call him whatever he wishes, to which K9 nods his head in agreement. End of the story. So, that is the story recapped, and we're now going to go up to our favourite spot in the world, which is... The trivia spot. Yes. So the air date for Image of the Fandal was the 29th of October to the 19th of November 1977. The writer is Chris Bowker, who's the final of three stories written by Chris. We previously saw his work in The Face of Evil and The Robots of Death. So three very close written stories. Um, I was kind of looking forward to seeing a bit more from him, but mm-hmm. okay. Uh, the director of the story is George Spenton Foster. This is the first of two directing credits for George. We'll see his work again in The Ribos Operation. George passed away in 1993. So, this story is the last to be commissioned by script editor Robert Holmes. We spoke previously about how Philip Hinchcliffe had moved on, and now Bob Holmes is moving on as well. Chris Bowker was unable to complete rewrites of the script due to his appointment as script editor of Blake 7. So, the incoming script editor, Anthony Reid, did the script editing for that. So, commissioned by Bob, initially written by Chris, and then script edited by Anthony Reid. So the Fandal doesn't actually speak. <laughs> um, no. Which is something that when I was looking at the list of characters, I was like, there's no one listed for the Fandal, that's why. Um, Chris Bowker had been very resistant to writing lines for the Fandal, similar to, he wasn't a big fan of writing lines for Zoanin either in the face of evil, on the grounds that he couldn't write dialogue for God. I get your... I get where you come from. Um, the story introduced a new version of Leela's outfit. Um, I'm going to say now, I don't like the new version. No, no. I have that it in my notes. It looks like the Pocahontas dress I had when I was seven. Yeah. Um, it's a lot lighter in colour than the last one was. Mm. And the reason why it was created is because the original one was wearing out. And also Louise Jameson had some problems with the original one because it was a leotard with the sort of flaps at the front and the back. Yeah. Uh, and the new one is actually a dress. Like I said, it looks, it looks a lot like the, yeah, <laughs> the it, Pocahontas dress I had when I was seven. And she also has her hair in a bun as well. I'll explain that in a second. Oh. Um, so the new version is a dress and the new producer, Graham Williams, um, also instructed the designer to make Louise look sexier 
in the new outfit. And again, I don't think it works. I think she looks sexier in the older outfit. Mm, yes. My personal preference. I'm interested to see what everyone else thinks. You mentioned her hair. So yes, she does have her hair done up in a bun for some random reason. The reason for that is the BBC hairstylist cut off six inches of her hair by accident. Ooh. I imagine she's meant to go in for a bit of a trim. You know, tighten things up a bit. No, six inches. Um, and so they just threw her hair up in a bun to hide the fact. Her final scene was actually filmed five weeks later, mm. which allowed her hair to grow out a little bit. But if you notice in that final scene, her hair is sitting very differently to how it did last yes. time. Mm-hmm. And it's clearly very much shorter. Mm. So in terms of the doctor getting out of the storage room that he was put in in part two, there's no on-screen explanation as to how that happened. Um, in the novelization, Terence Dix basically says that he kicked it down, mm-hmm. but that isn't seen on screen. Um, we do see him using the sonic screwdriver prior to the scene change, but it didn't appear to be having an effect. So, no one knows how he got out of it. Yeah. Uh, Leela kissing Adam Colby on the cheek. Uh, that was ad-libbed by Louise Jameson, and so the surprised look on his face was genuine because <laughs> he hadn't expected to do that. Um, this story has one particularly dark piece. I'll be interested to get your take on that when we're discussing it later on, mm. which is the death of Max Stale, Steele, mm. or whatever however you pronounce his name. Originally, he was meant to shoot himself on camera, and for unsurprising reasons, mm. this was this was rejected as being too dark for a series aimed at a family audience, which I agree with 110%. Yeah, like, we had a discussion, we've had a discussion surrounding Brandon Morbius and the, uh, I was going to say the fatal assassin, the deadly assassin, um, surrounding the level of violence in those two. Now, I didn't mind it as much as you did, but I would kind of draw the line at, no, uh, like a sacrifice scene within a Doctor Who story, we've seen it before, where like, and mm. uh, we'll see it again, where like the character sacrifices themselves to stop an evil or anything like that. Yeah. And that but that's usually by like locking themselves into a room or taking the, or science fiction shit. Yeah, or something like that. Having someone turn a gun on themselves, though, like it, it's a bit too much for the show. Yeah. Uh, Louise Jameson does regard this as one of her best stories because it was written by Chris and she's a big fan of Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was however during the making of the story that she decided to leave at the end of the series. So we're in the beginning of the end now for Leela. Before the read-through um, and also after the read-through, um, George spent a to cast out to lunch and afterwards Tom made several jokes about the script Picking out all the double entendres and really sort of taking the mick with it, mm. uh, which really upset Chris. Um, but had the knock on effect of causing him to comb through his scripts from there on out to make sure there was no double entendres in there. <laughs> which just seems like Tom trying to have a bit of a laugh and you know, someone being like, well, fuck him, I'm going to make sure that he can't mm. make fun of my story anymore. Uh, interestingly enough, Two days after filming was completed on the story, Tom Baker and Louis Jameson attended the world's first ever Doctor Who convention in London. Good to know. Uh, Tom Baker and Louis Jameson were also at my first ever Doctor Who convention. Uh-huh. Although I didn't meet Louise at the time. <laughs> the circle is now complete. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
I was really looking forward to this before I sat down to watch it, before you sent me over the character list, as you're prone to do. I was looking forward to being like, oh, I wonder what K9 is going to be like in the story. Yeah, K9 isn't really in it. No. Um, he appears briefly at the beginning and then the closing scene. Um, he's suffering from circuitry corrosion. And the reason for that is that it was written, the story was written before it was known that K9 would be joined the series on a regular basis. And so John Leeson wasn't recruited to voice the character who had been given no dialogue. But like. Which. I think it's a bit of a cop-out. It is. Because it... had K-9 been a humanoid character, they would have found a way to work him in. Yeah. We've, we've seen that plenty of times before. But like... Um, so, yeah. It's like, a bit of a cop-out. But like, is this treated as one of his, like, story appearances? Because if that's the case, it's like those, you know, you hear, like, like the MCU, you know, you hear like that, oh, this actor has, like, six, has signed on for six movies. Yeah. Two of those movies are like fucking cameos like in the after credit sequences. That's a fucking cop out. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I need I need to go back and check last week's notes to see if I listed Image of the Fendel as a story that um he was in. But yeah. Personally I think that was a bit of a a cheap thing. Like, I mean, like I said, like we've had characters stay on that you know, or stories written without knowing who the companions is going to be and whether there's going to be one companion or two companions. Like they've made it work in the past, so I think it's just lazy writing to be honest. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but let's talk about the cast that we do have. So as Jack Tyler, we have Jeffrey Hinslip. This is the first of two appearances for Jeffrey. We'll see him again in Nightmare of Eden. His non who credits include Zed Cars, Adam Adamant Lives, Softly Softly, Dixon of Doc Green, UFO, I Claudius. Carnation Street and Heartbeat. Martha Tyler is played by Daphne Hurd. This is her only Doctor Who acting credit. Her non Who credits include Lorna Dune, The Waters and the Carpenter, The Woman in White, Ace of Wands, Spannerweb, and To the Bannerborn. Daphne passed away in 1983. Maximilian Stahl, Steel, whoever pronounced it, is played by Scott Fredericks. This is the second and final appearance for Scott. We previously saw him in Day of the Daleks. Thayer Ransom. Uh, I actually I uh, looked him up because I I recognised him outside of Doctor Who like and he's in the Dad's yeah. Army movie. You you'll never guess where he's actually from. Right. Sligo. <laughs> uh, for those listeners that don't know, like Sl- Sligo is a small county in Ireland, in the <laughs> up in towards the northwest. Mm. Cool. Uh, Taylor Ransom is played by Wanda Ventum. This is the second of three appearances by Wanda. We previously saw her in the Faceless Ones, and we'll see her again in Time and the Rani. Interesting point, we made we made this in the Faceless Ones. Uh, Wanda Bentham is the mother of Benedict Cumberbatch. Mm-hmm. And this was the first acting job she had after Benedict was born. The story was her first acting gig after mm-hmm. Benedict Cumberbatch was born. Adam Colby is played by Edward Arthur. This is the only Doctor Who acting credit for Edward. His non-Who credits include Zed Cars, Pride and Prejudice, Moonlighting, and EastEnders. And lastly, as Dr. Fendelman, we have Dennis Lill. This is the first of two appearances for Dennis. We will see him again in The Awakening. And his non-who credits include Survivors, Only Fools and Horses, The Royal, Batman, the 1989 version, and The Eagle Has Landed. Um, I looked him up as well because I, I, he, he seemed familiar. I think he plays Cassandra's dad in Only Fools and Horses. I think so too. Yeah. I haven't watched Only Fools and Horses in about twenty years. Yeah, I, I think um, like, I think I have like that, like just like like there's one particular scene in mind, and it's in a pub, and it's like I'm pretty sure that's Cassandra's dad. <laughs> 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 I 
group. So we have. Oh, sorry, go on. I was going to say thank you. I was going to say thank you very much for all that wonderful trivia. You are very, very welcome. Mm-hmm. And I was going to say that now that we've done the trivia and the summary, as you introduced today's episode, mm-hmm. you get to do the character discussion first. Yay. So we have the Doctor. For companions, this, this is going to be interesting. So for companions, I just have Leela. Yeah, no, I'm the same. And then for prominent characters, I have Jack, Marta, Thea, and Adam. And then for villains, I did Steel, Fendelman, and the Fendal. I have Fendelman in the prominent character section. Okay. For me, he was sort of like... On the cusp. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I have him in the prominent character section. Because um, he does seem like the type of character for why we did create the prominent character section. Mm. I can see that. But first of all, we have the Doctor, and like I said, since you introduced us today, you get to go first. So, Paddington, thoughts on the Doctor in Image of the Pendal? Uh, thoughts on the Doctor. So, overall, I think I like him in this one. Um, mm. Like, there's a healthy mix of like the charming, concerned, and clever Doctor that Tom can do really, really well. Um, and it's just like in that sort of the the actual interloper you know when he first arrives in and he tells like adam to just or like, sorry colby to step away from the, the the body and then him trying to interact with fendelman and then there's a sequence with him talking to the the skull in the lab like offering it to jelly baby uh he's he's got a great rapport as well with um marta i think he seems to be mm. very that's where i think the charming uh side things comes into him um his relationship with Leela is, I think it's very teasing at points, but like, because they, they are kind of, they do tease each other an awful lot in this one. And it seems like bickering mm. back and forth, but at the end, but he still cares an awful lot about her. Like, mm. even though she saves him and he, grabs though he falls on top of her, he asks like, are you okay? Or when he mm. comes to find her after killing the, fe- the, the Fendeline, um, again, he's concerned as for her. Um, so I, I I I like that, but the one thing that I don't particularly like of, about the Doctor in this one, and I think it's the failing of absolutely everyone in this story, is that no one really gives a fuck about Thea. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's I think it's going to just to save the the broken re- the people from the broken record. Outside, actually, no, including I think everyone, they they don't they don't give a fuck about her, and I don't like that. Because, like, a couple of weeks ago with the horror of Fang Rock, mm. I said I didn't give a fuck about the characters. But at least the Doctor and Leela and other characters within the confines of the show cared about people's deaths. Yes. I was like, that's grand. I, I personally, outside the show, don't give a fuck about them. But I want to see that acknowledgement within the characters of the show. Here, I was concerned about Tia. No one in the show seemed to give a fuck about her. Yeah, I found that really disconcerting. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll get to it more in my overall, but mm. yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, so that's pretty much what I have here. It's like, I won't say like that this is a standout performance, but, it, but like, it's far from being his worst performance. Mm. So for me, it was kind of meh. Um, 
There's a couple of things I didn't like. I got those out of the way first. Yeah. Um. Not a big fan of the Doctor referring to K9 as an it. Mm-hmm. I know that was just the beginning, and obviously at the end here refers to K9 as a he, but I don't like the fact that was even in there. It seems like a very un-Doctor-like thing to do. Um. So I wasn't a big fan of that. Um. Or, I mean, you said that like he was sort of, him and Lila were sort of teasing back and forth at several points of the story, and I would agree, but there were times when he was bordering on asshole, do you know? Or bordering on inconsiderate. I don't know, something about just the way some of his lines were delivered. And I'm just like, that doesn't seem fun. Hmm. If you get my drift. Um... Particularly like in the opening scene where he gets pissed off on behalf of the TARDIS and stuff. Yeah. But then also a little bit later on, like you said, like, oh, like when she you know, took down the Fendley and he was concerned about her, he also just, like dropped her head on the floor and told her to get up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's like, um, okay, it's like, it's not the camaraderie that we saw in Horror Fang Rock, no, for example. No. Um, which I thought was that banter done really well. Mm. Here, the banter isn't really been done really well. And like, it's almost like he's getting exasperated with her questions and stuff. But do you know what this actually is? Is mm. because it's uh, Chris Boucher, Boucher, Bucker, but yeah. yeah, writing. This is very reminiscent of the relationship he had with her in Robots of Death. So yeah. it's like uh, Talon's horror and even Invisible Enemy haven't happened yet. Yeah, which is unfortunate in the way that we've watched them. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Yeah. Um, the other thing I didn't like, and you kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier, the Doctor does nothing to try and save Stale. 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 Yeah. Whatever the fuck's name is. Stahl. Um, he goes, he gets the gun, he hands it to him, and he leaves. Yeah. There's no, we can find another way. There's no, like, okay, this man is trying to redeem himself. He's realized the error of his ways. There's no attempt to save him. And there seems to be no conflict within the Doctor in going and getting the gun and handing it over. Yeah, because he... But see, and this kind of goes back to the, the thing with Tia, right? Is that mm. the Doctor says it's too late for you. Because mm. once you look into the Fendal's eyes, you're you're done for. It's like, Which makes no sense because later on... Jack looks into the Fendel's yeah, eyes. So, yeah, maybe it's like, you know, a certain other thing that you look into the eyes and that's going to come up in a couple of years and it's mm. that kind of fucking thing. But, and like that, that in the sense of like, uh, the thing with Thea is that like, there's no explanation as to why they can't attempt to save her or why there's no point to like, there's, so I would view that point more of like, you know, the, um, the point you're making about the doctor, I'd put that more towards Thea than with Stahl because at least with Stahl, he kind of said like, you're too far gone into the process. Yeah, but he also handed the man a gun to shoot himself. Yeah. That's the that's the thing I have issue with. Joe, we've seen the doctor sort of let people make the sacrificial play before. Mm-hmm. But literally going and getting the gun and bringing it back and handing it over, that we have not seen before. No. Or at least not. I, I, I didn't... If we have, it didn't affect me in the same ways as this time round did. There's... I'll save the actual metaphors and everything for the the overall, but there there there's something very 
askew about this story. Mm. Yeah. Um, outside of that, I mean, the Doctor was, you know, he kind of had sciencey Doctor, nothing special that really jumped out at me, if I'm mm. being honest. Um, the only other thing that I wanted to comment on was that at the end of the episode, he still seemed like he was being controlled by the Fandal a bit. I don't know if that was just my perception it, of the his, end of the story. His final line delivery for like that epilogue sequence in the TARDIS, it's weird. It's weird. It's very, yeah, it's very there's strange. There's something about it that like, and again, because I haven't seen the stories that come after this, I'm like, is this going to carry over into next week? I don't think so. I can't, um, I can't remember because pretty much everything else from Tom's run, I've seen once. That was a long time ago. Yeah, so I just thought that he was behaving a little bit strange. Like the fact that he comes on Leela's dress again, even though it was her original dress at this mm. point, not the new dress. Um, and just the way he sort of reacted was almost... Well, the dress thing kind of like I thought was within keeping because he used it the first time to distract her from being annoyed at him. Yeah, but still, like, yeah. it's like... I don't know, it just seemed like he was off. Mm. And I don't know if that was just Tom was off and therefore his delivery was off, or if it was because the doctor was meant to be off. I, I don't really know. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, that was that was me. He was meh. Yeah. Um it's kind of my, my reaction. Is it his worst outing? No, not by a long shot, but um <laughs> So we move on to our companions. So like I said, we don't have K nine this week. No. Unless you want to comment on his one movement of nodding his head. <laughs> Powerful. Um, Powerful. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about Leela. Yes. So, Paddy. Um, thoughts on Leela? I was like, you, you brought it up in the trivia, but I'm not sure what the colour love, to be honest. <laughs> it, it, no. it, it doesn't, the, the pale colour doesn't work on her. Um, hmm. I think that's because, like, uh, Louise is kind of tanned as Leela, so yeah. that it doesn't really contrast well. I don't think. Mm. Um, out outside that, like it's not a bad showing by any means. It's like you know, it's a standard showing. I think it's the type of thing that we've come to hope for from Leela. Mm. There's nothing new added to the mix, though. Um, like we get to see her full like, skills and display, her danger sense. Her ability to, like, stand her ground, uh, dealing with that fucking dickhead Ted Moss that kept trying to rough her up. Um, I also like like the fact that again she's applying her understanding of the Doctor's teachings. So, like, you know, mm-hmm. when he was on a boat, um, how the Fendal used the energy to transport his consciousness to Earth. She was like, "Oh, how uh, light! You know, like how energy travels through lightning." Uh, mm. that was cool also when he was on a boat because uh, he went into the whole like science behind how salt affects certain organisms and she just told everyone salt kills them mm. um, so I like that that's a continuing trend um, I like the relationship she had with Marta mm. it, it seemed kind mm. of like it. it almost felt like the, the the original template for her was to have been like you know you know a grandmother who was a witch or descended from a witch which was her mm. abilities so I kind of feel like that that maybe like there's like a surrogate type thing here which is like honor the venerable old wise woman mm. 
But yeah, other than that, like, I, I don't think it, it can compete with uh, the stuff that we've seen for her thus far. Yeah. But I think I think it's better than the Invisible Enemy. <laughs> um. So for me, this was kind of, again, meh. For Lila. Um, yeah, she sends up for herself with the, with the doctor, which is great. Except they have a couple of bantery fun bits. And a couple of bits where she's just kind of like, don't be a prick. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. It feels like she didn't contribute as much to the story as she has in comparison in previous stories. I'll talk a bit more, more about that in my overall. But like, I would agree with you. Like Again, you compare this to Horror Fang Rock. Or even, like I know I wasn't a big fan of it, but Talents of Wang Chiang. Mm. Which admittedly was a longer story, but it just didn't seem like Leela contributed a whole lot. Yeah, we saw the danger sense, which I love seeing. Um, I loved the fact that she, you know, when the doctor's like, "Don't touch me," she's like, "Cool, I'll just kick the chair out from underneath." Yeah. Um, which is brilliant and great use of her intuition. But like, I would have almost liked to see her team up with Martha maybe a bit earlier in the story, mm-hmm. and like have her actually work more with Martha on. The psychic level. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like using Leela's danger sense and Marta's knowledge of what's happening. Yeah. Um, and having them work more prominently together. Because for the most part, she was just kind of there. Yeah. Do you know? Which, which again, isn't what we've expected from Leela. Um, and like if we even just think back to um, the previous stories by this writer, you know, Robots of Death, she did a lot more in that, I think, mm-hmm. than she did here. Um, so I don't know. It just seems like I don't know, I'll get into more and more overall, but it just seems like she didn't really contribute much. Mm. Also, I agree. I don't like her new outfit. She looks like a child in a fucking, you know, Native American dress-up costume. Is it the combination? Like we're getting into aesthetics here now, but is it the combination of the hair and the dress? No, it's just it's the the hair. I wasn't a big fan of either. Yeah. Um, but it's just the dress. I liked her old dress because it was leathers. Mm. It was clearly patched together. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is a dress made from skins. But like, where does she get it? It's a Halloween shop. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, she she literally looked again. Like I make the point, and I spoke with someone at work was <laughs> today. Was like kind of inappropriate now to say that I dressed up as Pocahontas as a child. Thought I did. Um, I went to school wearing my Pocahontas dress when I was a child. Um, I was quite proud of it. But like, it was literally like the same color, same rough length. Do you know what I mean? And it's like it looks like a child's dress-up dress. Whereas her previous skins, like I said, they were leathers, they were beaten, they were worn in, um, and they look like they've been patched together. And it just looks more believable. This looks like she's playing dress-up, mm. which yeah, isn't Leela. No, you know. Everything with her is function, not form. Mm-hmm. So that's just my take on that. Then we have our prominent characters. So we have the Tylers, Jack and Marta. We have Thea. We have Alan Colby. And then you said that you'd put uh, Fendelman yeah. in that sort of top mm-hmm. prominent character into villain yeah. uh, changeover. So why don't we do the Tylers first? Mm-hmm. So we have Jack and then his gran Marta. Mm-hmm. So, thoughts on Jack and or Marta? So, Jack kind of reminds me of a countryside version of Frank Spencer from Some Mothers Do Have Him. Uh, just the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Uh, it's just the, the look about him. 
Um, he loves his gran. He, mm-hmm. he really does love his gran. I like I like the fact that he kind of he steps to anyone that he thinks is going to cause her any harm or trouble. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't want Ted Moss or the other guys in the the coven taking advantage of her beliefs or you know because he basically it's kind of all stemming from her essentially um in terms of like you know the old practices being adhered to or being observed and he doesn't want people to her taking advantage of that uh i like her they're back and forth you know about him wearing a hat and he was like yeah but grand granddad used to wear a hat and all this type of stuff um and he was evil too yes um <laughs> And it's like, there's nothing overtly standoutish about him, you mm. know? Um, but it's nice to have, Jesus, I, I don't know really what you can say. It's in the sense of like, it's nice to have a, a prominent character psychic that isn't a fucking douchebag. Yeah. Yeah. Like for me, like my opinion of Jack was that he seems like a nice man. Mm-hmm. He doesn't believe what his grand believes, but he'll do whatever is necessary to protect her. Yeah. And that's pretty much who he is. Yeah. And he even like takes oh. on the charm, you know, wears the charm to appease her because, you yeah. know, he's granny's boy, like, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, he's a nice guide. Mm-hmm. Kind of the same way that, like, Ian, or not Ian, um, I think Ian Martyr, like, Harry was just yeah, an inherently nice person. So was Ian, yeah. now I think about it, but... Yeah, there's nothing. He's like he's like like I, I won't put him on the same level as him, but he's like Harker from um, Horrifying Rock. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, just kind of there, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> nice guy, um, and whatever. Then we have his grand Marta, who like for me, I think Marta is just like stereotypical English village old religion type, mm-hmm. but a nice one. Yes, not a creepy. Like, get the fuck away from me, lady, kind of one. Yeah. But, like, and this is the thing, it's like, you know, I do not want to get on her bad side because, like, mm. like an angry old lady, there's, you know, there's a few things in life that are scarier than that. Mm-hmm. And her being, like, the local witch or, you know, slash village wise woman just kind of adds to that mystique. Um, mm. Like, when you first see her, like, inside, like, the kitchen with uh, Mitchell, like, and giving out to him and him kind of treating her like you know like a crazy old lady whereas tia and colby come to her like mm. like in case of we're not we're not helping her we're keeping you safe from her type <laughs> shit because she will you know fuck you up um and as i said i liked her relationship with leela uh because mm. there was just a sort of leela appreciated her for her abilities i think marta in turn appreciated that yeah, I think with, from my perspective anyway, the Leela Marta thing was that like, Leela listened to her mm-hmm. and respected her for who she was. And I think Marta a appreciates that, but also sort of appreciated Leela's instinct. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Um, like Leela wasn't trying to fop her off. She wasn't trying to talk rings around her or whatever. Yeah, she sort of took her as she was, and sometimes that's all you need to do to mm-hmm. just take people as they are. Yeah. Cool, we'll move on. So we'll do let's do three last of the sections. Let's yeah. do Adam Colby. Bit of an arrogant twat to be honest. Yeah, I mean 
I put down, like, he's alright, like, do you know what I mean? Like, you can't excuse agreeing to hide the first dead body. That's inexcusable. No. But other than that, like, he's, he's a scientist. You see, and, like, and this is the thing where it's like, I understand the level of skepticism that he has because it's it's needed when you hear someone making the claims that Fendelman is making, you know? Yeah. Um, But outside of that, like, outside of the realms of scientific scrutiny, he just comes across as a fucking prick. Like, um, the way like, that he insults Marta and Jack, like calling them like country potato or turnip mashers and all this type of shit. And it's like, I, okay, I get that you're a man of science, but also they're the ones that saved you. So a bit of respect. And yeah, as well. Like, I mean, but and then even within the realms of like academics, I'm getting the impression that he doesn't play well with others, but that that's just an inkling that I have based on one or two of his back and forths with Stalin Fendelman. Hmm. Like, I think I think I based my whole like he's all right. I guess I think I based that more on how he is with Thea. Yeah. Like they seem really friendly. They get along well together. Hmm. Do you know? Like I said, the biggest disagreement they had was around the first dead body. Yeah. Which is inexcusable. Like there's no. no there's no excuse the, for that. And that's the thing, like, you know, like, it's where Fendelman kind of, like, appealing to him, or manipulating him with his, like, you know, we're on to a major discovery here. You're the one that helped find the skull. Think of what that will mean for you, type thing. Yeah. But at least, like, initially, Adam, like, he, he was upset. He was terrified. He wa- like he wanted to do the right thing. And yeah, he got, like, turned around by Fendelman or whatever, but, like, inherently, he did want to do the right thing initially. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like, that was his whole reaction. Um, in terms of how he is with Jack and Marta, I think, yeah, his little bit of entitlement there. But I, again, at the end, he's still crouchy under her table. And, you know, there's something to be said for panic and, you know, stressful situations, whatever. But, like, that's really it like do you mm. know what I mean like there's nothing else I personally have to say but like he was grand like I, again I wouldn't compare him to your man from fucking horror Fang Rock the fucking um prickish oh um Palmerdale lord whatever the fuck his name was yeah, yeah Palmerdale yeah no no he yeah. not to that extent like because he didn't actively try and fuck people over um yeah uh, so we'll do Fendelman next because you wanted to talk about Tia last. Yeah. Or... And I think Tia deserves yeah. s- some some focus. Let's do Fendelman next. Okay. So what do you think of Fendelman? Poor fella. You know, it's it's tough when you find out that your entire existence has been manipulated in order to have you resurrect an extraterrestrial Grim Reaper. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fucking... How he came to that conclusion is amazing, mind you. Like, mm. just like this sort of... Wait a minute. That's what my name means. Um, like, he's... I think he's a strange uh, character to pin down, really. Because he's not really doing anything overtly illegal. Yet he's... Act- aside, from, aside from hiding dead bodies. Yeah. yeah okay, well, no, but, see, but, no, but this is the thing, right? Is that, <laughs> no, his... The, the experiments that he is doing... Yeah. Isn't Ill- illegal. It's not. Yet he's acting as if they're performing experiments on humans or something. Or 
because like I know and like I get that he said like he doesn't want the media circus surrounding this, but the the issue is is that and I think this is where again there's an issue with the writing is that he shows he never lets on or he shows no concerns of his like work being like scooped by other scientists or mm. anything like that. That doesn't seem to be a concern on his end. Um. So I don't get like the le- the need for okay maybe the need for you know to have security guards fine but for him to carry a revolver around inside the house himself I don't get it. Yeah, I think for me like when I like watching through like the first two or three episodes I was like okay he's meant to be like uh the time machine scientist from Invasion of the Dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Right? I really was getting like. This to me seemed like a cross between Invasion of the Dinosaurs and the Demons, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, okay, you know, he wants to do a clean slate. He wants to revert the world. Or something. Like, no, he just has a very... Pro- he has one science experiment that he's very protective of to a ridiculous degree for mm-hmm. some reason. And it, it, I mean, I think the interesting question is how much of that is Stahl. Do you know? Because Stahl was using him. Mm-hmm. And it's the fact that, like, when he says to Colby, like, you know, oh, what about, or when Colby says, like, what about the guards? And he's like, with me out of the way, they report to Stahl. Hmm. Um, but I... So it's like, you know, how much of his behavior is Stahl kind of egging him on? Do you know? And how much of it is it just him himself? Because he doesn't seem to trust Stahl all that much either. But see, that... Re- you know, I just... I just think he's weird. Like, see, that, that kind of raises an interesting thing, right? Because if it, if it's style, if it's style forcing him to, or like pushing him to do all this type of stuff, right? Mm. That kind of, well, to me anyway, it kind of contradicts this whole thing of my entire existence has been leading towards resurrecting the Fendal as part of my inner prime directive. So surely he would be doing it regardless of style's poking. Yeah, but maybe maybe the like the security guards and the whatever, maybe that was what that was like. Do you know? Yeah, for me though, it was more a case of like the extent that he went to with it. Like you said, like carrying around a gun and whatever. That I think I wonder how much of that was Stahl, like hmm. egging him on. Um, hmm. But we never, we never really see the two of them discuss much. Do you know what I mean? So it's it's no. re- it's all inferences. Very hard to tell what the actual intent was. Hmm. Yeah. So then we come to Thea. I can't really say too much about Thea herself as a person because hmm. she was taken over fairly quickly. However, she did seem like a nice person. She was a kind woman before she got taken over. You know, she was firmly against this whole what the fuck are you hiding in the body for? Like, <laughs> what the yeah. hell are you on about? And when the second body turns up, she's like, yeah, Adam, like, why didn't you call them the first time? I would question, Thea, why didn't you call them? But, how's that work? Um, I think that to your earlier point, I think the reason why I wanted to sort of give her, like, the, the top spot in terms of problem characters is because, to your point, once she's taken over, no one really gives a shit about her anymore. Mm. Do you know? there We have the reactions of Adam and... um. Uh, Pendleman. Yeah. But that's it. Again, like to your point, there's no attempts to rescue her. 
to reason with her to get through even when she was ill at the start no one particularly cared to, you know, Adam mm. was initially like, oh you look tired or whatever but that's it like um, so yeah I think she got royally stiffed in this one to be honest <laughs> she she did and like she's the tragic protagonist of this story mm. and like it's kind of reminiscent of like some like um some like old like Roger Corman Edgar Allan Poe things uh where it's like you do feel like this sense of heartbreak um for like the female protagonist that ends up becoming the ultimate victim at the end mm. and here you kind of do because when I was watching it initially I was like so um the final sequence is Tia as the Fendal which is like this weird gold painted Grecian style mm. goddess with eyes painted all over her eyes um, teleporting around the house and ending back up at the pentagram before it implodes mm. almost as like you know, she's trying to find a way out yeah. and she just ends up going gets pulled back to the pentagram um, now when I was first the first time I was watching like first time I, when I watched it I was like I was kind of confused I was like what the fuck's going on here and then I was thinking about kind of going she's trapped and she can't get out like everything, everything that's sustaining her is failing, so she's being forced back to her origin point, and like she's before she gets possessed, she seems to be the only one that's a voice of reason hmm. in the group. And when she's finally listened to, it's too late yeah. because at that stage the phone lines are cut, and she's like, "I've li- I I'm the one that laid the trap. Hmm. It was against her will, everything." And the minute that she yeah, she gets you know, taken over or the, the minute that the transformation process is completed, no one gives a fuck about her. Yeah. And I don't, I don't like that. Yeah, I, I, don't I want, really don't. The one thing I was afraid of at the end, I was kind of waiting for it to happen. I was like, please don't do this. Please don't do this. Is like when she's sort of teleporting around the house. And I wondered if that was meant to be because they laid out the salt and sort of supernatural style thing. Um, mm. But I was like, please don't change back. Please don't change back. Please don't. The building's going to explode. Please don't change back. Mm. Because it was almost as if they were setting up for her cha- to change back mm. into Thea. And then, of course, Thea blows up. Um, so I, I was kind of glad that like she didn't change back at the end because that would have been horrific. Um, what I was waiting for in this story was I was waiting to see the Lauren Scarman. You know, but but my brother, and that's not your brother anymore. It's just a wa- animated human cadaver. I was waiting for that sequence here for this. Hmm. Never came. No. So with that, shall we move on to our villains? Um, yes. Of... <sighs> Sorry. Uh, of Maximilian Stahl, and then mm-hmm. the Fendal itself, themselves. Itself? It's a, kind of a unimind, so... Well, yeah, it's weird. Um, and a very weirdly designed one at that, but fuck it, we'll get to it. Yeah, it, it looks a little bit like the... Oh, forget about it. Anyway, yeah. uh, Stahl. Thoughts? He's like he's like an evil Terry Wogan. <laughs> he... Is such a thing even possible? <laughs> We've just seen it. <laughs> it's the, 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 the Irish accent feeding through into... Probably a couple of years having lived in England. And it's like, yeah, it's the evil Terry Wogan. Um, All I'm imagining now is, do you remember that interview that Terry Wogan did on Graham Norton? Carrie Fisher was on it as well. Yeah. This was like back in the 90s. 
and he's talking to Graham Norton about like <laughs> the, the then uh, air hostesses on Aer Lingus. They're in there. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Oh, God. <laughs> um, Stalin is kind of like, do you know who he reminds me of? Um, do you remember the very first Sherlock Holmes movie, Lord Blackwood? Um, he's the guy, you know, like he's played by Mark Strong. Oh, yes. But his whole, yeah, his whole thing is that he disguises science as magic. Hmm. Uh, and like Stahl does the same here. Like he knows that what they're dealing with is like extraterrestrial in origin. Hmm. He knows that because of the science behind things. Yet he dresses everything up in like in a pagan ritual. Um, to get the superstitious locals on board because he needs like he needs extra bodies to complete this whole thing hmm. so I, I was like I actually thought that was kind of uh, cool and like he's like you know in a sense like, he gains followers through this whole thing of disguising science as magic but it's solely for the purpose of installing him as the ultimate power um, which makes him a bit of a ruthless bastard you know hmm. um the sequence with the gun, mm. I will give him props for taking himself off the board. Mm. If only, like, even if it's his thing, like, you know, I just don't want to go through the pain of the transformation. Fair enough. Because I don't think he's probably thinking enough to think, um, oh, well, maybe if I remove myself as one of the pieces of this board, it can't fully manifest. I don't think he was thinking that. I just think he didn't want to turn into, excuse me, a Fendaline. Um, so I'll give him props for actually doing it himself. Mm. Um, still a very dark sequence. Yeah. Um, I actually had to, and it's a small bit overshadowed as well because the building of the music kind of, um, it doesn't overshadow the gunshot mm. but it makes it sound like the gunshot is part of the actual score that's happening at that point in time so when i saw stall like lying on the floor dead i was like jesus that was very fucking quick <laughs> um but so you you go back and you're like oh yeah there's the gunshot yeah. um yeah so i was interested by him i wasn't um <laughs> <laughs> i didn't have any major feeling about him one way or the other um on the one hand, he's a scientist who's using this coven, using these, you know, country folk uh, for his own agenda without truly believing what they believe and without even really trying to believe what they believe. You know, hence the point where Ted Moss is like, no, it's not 12, it's 13 people that you need to do this. Um, he clearly doesn't give a shit. Hmm. You know, he's just playing the part. Um, I think to your point, I think you know, the whole take himself off the board thing. Um, is it a redemption? Kind of, sort of, maybe. Do you know, he sort of realises mm. what the Fendal is capable of and he's like, no, fuck it, that can't get loose, which, you know, again, you know, is that redemption? Um, but I would agree that like his his suicide is very dark. I don't mm. think we've ever actually had someone spell it out so clearly before, like in terms of self-sacrifice. I think we have usually people who disappear or people are like, go, I'll hold it, or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Or people who die inadvertently mm. in a self-sacrificial way. But the fact that he's like, you um, know, it's not for the Fendal, it's for me. So he's very blunt about what's yeah. going to happen. I think probably the most, like, 
really on the nose self-sacrifice and or I don't even know if it's self-sacrifice because we kind of went back and forth over this is Katarina in no, she just got fucking left outside <laughs> yeah no but like she fucking well because the episode is lost we'll never know did she intentionally push the fucking airlock release button or was it accidental yeah um, I convinced that it was accidental I don't know it's done on purpose uh, yeah. but like here like, this is the most spelled out we've ever had it from the character themselves mm. it's not for her it's for me I was like that's chilling in a way um, and probably out of the whole episode the most chilling thing for me really um, yeah, it, it's like it is that the, for such a uh, like it's like is it a high science fiction story? It's probably like the most gothic part of it. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Um, but other than that, I just didn't really care about them to be honest. I might be giving away a little bit of my overall here, but again, <laughs> meh. <laughs> And then we have the Fendal. Which is kind of like a cross between a snake and the proto Wirren form from Arkham Space. Yeah, it's like the more that it has, like it's kind of kind of the lamprey type thing where it's like there's no face to it. It's just those tendrils coming out of that hole. Um like from a design perspective, I I find that terrifying. Uh, like any creature kind of lacking facial features always freaks me out because you can't see intent. Hmm. You know, uh, you, the whole thing like, or you look into the eyes of an animal, you can kind of, kind of gauge what it's thinking. Whereas these things, no, they're just these weird Resident Evil esque fucking monsters. Um, conceptually, I I think the idea behind the Fendal is kind of cool. Hmm. Like the, uh, twelve component parts attached to like the main hive mind that looks absolutely nothing like them and no explanation as to like i suppose maybe this is doesn't need one because it's this whole the, the way that the fendal are built up is like that they're essentially the ultimate grim reaper hmm. so the angel of death could be the skull component and then you know those things are like the raven it's ravens or it's minions or whatever um but as a threat in the story, it feels kind of passive. Yeah, like I don't, I don't get like, I don't get the overwhelming sense of dread from like the Rutan stalking the lighthouse, mm. or even like the robots in the Robots of Death. Like, which of them is actually mm. the the evil robot? I don't get that over, or even as mind fucky as it was, Zoanan. Mm. I don't get that here for such a conceptually cool monster it it just doesn't hit what it should the notes that it should hit yeah and even comparing to last week remember last week we also had like a mind takeover seeking to population type story yeah i think that component even though like the prawn was ridiculous but like i think that component of it was probably done better last week um yeah i i, th- I think it's kind of it's a weird kind of inverse here because like conceptually the the nucleus of the swarm was amazing mm. and just like the life-size version of it was fucking terrible, and it took us out of that immersion. Here, visually speaking, they're they're awesome to look at, mm. and conceptually, but as the actual villain of the piece, they're just I think they're underwhelming. Mm. 
Mm, I'd agree. Um, and it would, I, I don't know, maybe I missed it. Like, when Faye is being taken over, you know, the camera is obviously showing the duality of what's happening to her or whatever. And, but it always shows two um, Vendelines. I'm like, why is there two? As like when it's doing the sort of flash between Thea, hmm. Thea and the Fendal state and the Fendalines, it always shows her as two Fendalines, not one. Hmm. I'm like, is she two people? Like, I I don't get it. Um, yeah, I, I think that's probably like my main thing with the Fendal was like, I I don't get it. <laughs> Do you know? I don't get hmm. the urgency. I don't get the. I mean, obviously. There's a threat in the sense that they kill you, but like, other than that, it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Any other thoughts on our characters before we close off this section? <laughs> close it. <laughs> Closed. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. So we have come to the final section, our overall mm. thoughts on the story. I think, I think we've given away a little bit in our character discussion, um, at least on Never. base sentiment. <laughs> but, Paddy, as always, I will hand it to you first. Mm-hmm. Your thoughts on the story and a score out of five, please. I'm kind of torn on this one. Okay. All right. Um, it has some interesting ideas. It really does. I think the notion behind the the Fendal is is kind of cool, um, and this, this whole thing of like manipulating a strain of humanity in order to one day resurrect it. I I think that's that's kind of cool. Um, it kind of has elements of the ma- the the Mandra- mask of Mandragora, you know. Mm. Um, the cast. Like I think the majority of them like are are pretty oh good at what they're doing. Like I like Stahl, I like Fendelman. Tia, I think she actually did a really um Wanda Ventman did a really, really good job. Mm. Because as I said, I'm I'm left kind of empty by her death. Mm. Uh I think for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> is this as Doctor Who should kinda of give for that. Um and like our two regulars like it's not a bad performance, no. um. But I think, I think the pacing is. I think the there's an issue with the pacing, because the resolution feels kind of rushed. Because I think the last episodes are like twenty minutes long, mm. um, and it's just there seems to be like this, like slow, steady, sedate. We're trying to build the tension, pace, and then it's like gallop to the end. Mm. And it doesn't work. And it's like, I don't think this, it doesn't feel like it needs to be a six-parter. No. But the first three episodes definitely feel to need, need to feel tighter than they actually are. Yet I can't think of how to do it because it's just, it's so... The way that I kind of think of it is that it's like you're looking at something that's just slightly out of focus or mm. slightly askew. 
I like you can't quite put your finger on like it exactly as to what's the thing that's out of focus, but it's driving you fucking crazy. Um, which is slightly the element of the uh, the plot element of like room sixteen oh two, I think. But um, I it just, I don't know. It's just like I I didn't get any like this is built as like you know the last of the Hammer Horror style stories of Doctor Who, and I don't get it. I I don't feel the same way that I felt watching Pyramids of Mars or Terror of the Zygons or like even if we went back to your know, horror of Fang Rock or just those ones. I'm giving it a two. Okay. Yeah. That's going back over your previous scores. So the last time you gave a story a two, well, you gave the mutants a one point seven five. So that was the oh yeah, Jesus. Your previous, well, it is still your lowest for a while. Your last two point probably the faceless one, is it? Uh, I think so. Yeah, faceless ones. Been a very long time. Yeah, my my lowest is still the gunfighters. I think I gave that a point five. <laughs> Uh, yes, you did. Yes, you yeah. did. Um, and then you also had um, Space Pirates, which was a 1.5. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, for me, I think I've said it several times already in our character discussion. Meh. Um, <laughs> I found this one very difficult to get into, and I don't know why. I will caveat this as that I am still kind of jet lagged from last week. So that could be it. It could just be that I'm just tired. But like I kept found myself like phasing out of watching it. Do you know? Like I didn't particularly care. Like I cared because we do the podcast, but I didn't care about what was happening. I think the main reason behind that is that I just didn't connect with the characters. I can barely remember yeah. who was who. And so much of the runtime was devoted to the new supporting characters. Like in the first episode, we only get like three scenes with the Doctor and Leela. In the first episode. Like it takes until like the end of episode two for the Doctor and Leela to really become involved in the story when the Doctor touches the skull. Do you know? It's like it, it took so long to get to the action and there wasn't really any action it's like it wasn't a very thought experiment story it wasn't a very action-filled story there was a lot of information being dumped out there it was a very heavy techno bubble story but i didn't really connect with any of the characters and even fear i connected with purely out of pity rather than mm. anything else like like when i obviously was watching this with the list of characters you'd sent over. And I was like, who the fuck is... Who's this person? And who's that person? And I'm like, Paddy wants to talk about him? But okay, I guess. And like, even at the end of the episode, I was like... I didn't actually type anything for fucking Fendelman. <laughs> I was like, they're just there. Do you know? Hmm. They're there. It just seems like... For the last of the horror the Hammer Horror stories, no, it does not match up at all. And I think the, what bothers me the most about it is that this is a story with interesting components that was done better in every other story that those components are in. Do you know? Um, 
the person being possessed and whatever has been done better before. The satanic ritualness has been done better before. The, you know, there's something in the house trying to kill you has been done better before. And even the science techno bubble has been done better before. Like, like, the doctor's mind being taken over has been done better before. I mean, how does it even compare to Sutek? Hmm. Do you know? I'm just like, nah. It's there, I guess. Is it the gunfighters? No. Is it the space pirates? No. I don't get... I mean, you mentioned before we jumped into the overall, you mentioned um, off-air that, like, oh, this is a really highly valued episode. I don't fucking see why. Hmm. Is it the worst episode on the planet? No. It's just, it's meh. And it has a couple of bits, particularly the suicide part. Um... I didn't enjoy. I didn't enjoy how that was handled. So I, I also gave it a two. It's like, mm. actually, hmm. like I think this while the suicide is dark. One point that I actually just remember now is, um, the sequence into Fendelman's death because what you have is Stahl snarling at him as he points the gun at his head, and then the next sequence is you see blood dribbling down from Fendelman's head mm. as he's lying slumped over. Yeah, it's like. Yeah, so we like in either sequence do you see the gunshot? Hmm. But I, th- I think while Stahl's one is more haunting on a Jesus, like, the whole concept of suicide. Hmm. But viscerally, Fennelman's one I think is on par with it. Yeah, no, I'd agree. I'd agree. Um, and yet at the same time, uh, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> The, 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 there was no emotional connection for me. And I mean, this is the mm. reason why you and I do this podcast the way we do. Mm. You know, you and I both connect with characters in the story. We don't mm. necessarily, special effects can be shocking. We don't fucking care. We connect with character. And for me, there was nothing to connect with here. Even Leela and the Doctor, it's like, eh whatever neither of them were at their best neither of them were showing anything new and even the banter between them at times felt incredibly strained so it's like i didn't care about their relationship in the story so yeah it was grand um if you did enjoy the story i'm curious to hear Hmm. why that sounds patronizing but you know what i mean um i would be interested to hear from people who like do have this story as one of their favorites or who do rate Hmm. it highly was there something we were missing in it again i'm still jet lagged so that could be it do you know yeah um but the fact that we both gave it a two i'm like hmm i don't think it's just the jet lag speaking yeah, like, but i suppose it's the same as anything like because um like uh recently like we we start we started the episode with the discussion around the jody whitaker's finale mm-hmm. And one of the returning characters in it was was Tegan. Yeah. Now, T- Tegan gets an awful lot of love. I personally can't fucking stand Tegan. But I've again, it's seen like... her in two things, and eh, wasn't particularly impressed. Hmm. Um. So, like again, I think it just comes down to one of those things of where it, it, do you connect with someone on a different level, or do you connect with something on a different level? Hmm. And that's why we always kind of in, invite like thoughts and like, you know, thoughts and conversations on this. Because we've rated some stuff really highly mm. that is, uni- I, I won't say universally treated lowly, but is 
probably on the lower end of the spectrum for a lot of people. Mm. And here we have vice versa. A lot of people love Image of Fendal and it doesn't really strike home for either of us. Yeah. So please, if you if you like the Image of Fendal, let us like let's actually have a discussion about it. Mm. Yeah. Very much so. But on that note, this episode will draw to a close. We will return next week. We will actually return next week. I got my weeks all mixed up when I was talking about last week. (laughs) We will return next week for the Sunmakers. Interesting. Until then, though, bye. Bye.